Hooky Mike Te Awkward Talks. My name is Izzy. And I'm Kay. And we're two musicians from Wellington, Aotearoa, here to discuss what really goes on in the New Zealand music industry. That's right. Each week we host open and awkward conversations with musicians, producers, technicians, and other well-known practitioners in the industry. This podcast is about creating a safe space to help each other out and call each other out. No topic is too awkward. Welcome to Awkward Talks. Kia Hi, Kay. Thank you for being back here. Um, you were away last week. I was. I'm so sorry to everyone. Do you want to tell people why you were away or do you want to just keep it a little bit of a secret? I think, well, we touched on it. I oh. tradey ladied too hard, too hard and might have <laughs> knocked myself out might, yeah. um, oh, on, the day, on yeah. the day of... Did you end up in hospital? No, um, ED oh. though. So I mean, oh. well, yeah, technically yeah. I was in the I was in the like oh, the department. Damn. But um, yeah, on on the same day that um, the beautiful Wallace came in, and yeah, so apologies for my um, lack of. That's all right. Um, I think we flew yeah. pretty well without you, but definitely missed you. Yeah. And this week on the podcast, if you guys are wondering who that um, deep, beautiful male voice yeah. is, it's not me. I am I am sick, but um, we have the fantastic Toby Lloyd joining us for this episode, and we're actually recording this after we did the full episode, and boy, did we talk about wow. a lot, mm. didn't we, Toby? Yeah, we got deep. We got real deep, and we think we're going to do a part two already, so mm. we hope you enjoy the episode. This isn't your first podcast. No, I've been on a couple now. Yeah, yeah. which was um, terrifying for me to find out. Yeah. I don't <laughs> really? Think we, I don't think we've interviewed a podcast veteran yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we're on our best behavior. Yeah. And you're probably yeah. going to teach us more. Some I, things. I think yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. start asking questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> Literally our worst nightmares <laughs> is for someone to come on and actually interview us. Um, no, but apart from all the shenanigans, should we? would you like to introduce yourself a little mm. bit? Give us... What's a little mehi? Who are you? Where are um, you from? Where'd you come from? Where'd you go? Yeah. Well, we've clarified I'm from Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> Most um, important thing to know about yeah, you, Yeah, totally. Sure. Yeah, so I, I'm a music producer that runs a recording studio called Tiny Triumph Recordings. Um, I've kind of dipped my toes in, like, the film industry and in music, so I kind of, like, I've had, like, a, a very blessed career. I've, I've had a lot of luck. So mm. I've worked on films like Avatar 2 and, like, The Hobbit trilogy and Hunt for the Wilder People and... All of those things, as well as working on a whole lot of like amazing um, musical projects, like uh, Tahini Bikini yeah. and, uh, hey, <laughs> and um, Holly Smith and Shapeshifter, and worked with people like Stan Walker and yeah, a lot of amazing artists. And I've I've been pretty pretty lucky thus far. Um, mm. And uh, and yeah, so it's it's my full time gig. I basically have a studio um, from my house, so I basically demoed the garage and then built like a room inside a room construction, yeah. like really cool recording studio and um yeah i i drop my kids to school each day come back make a coffee and um hopefully create a banger <laughs> yeah. a banger. i love how you said um yeah i just uh, dipped my toe into the film industry yeah. <laughs> like literally worked at like park road and on some of the like most amazing films uh, yeah. so yeah humble humble beginnings totally it's all luck it's all luck <laughs> i think you kind of actually might have answered a little bit but going kind of before the career mm. Um, we like to chat a little bit about like the making of mm, the person because yes. there's a lot about how you grew up, you know, the influences that you had around you that turns you into the person that you are today. And totally. also there's no one way to get to a specific place. You know, we like to show mm, yeah. that there's a lot of, there's no cookie cutter answer um, to getting where you want to be. So can we take it back a little bit? Yeah, totally. To OG Toby. Take it back to two-year-old yeah. Toby, like, shaking my head against the speaker system. Yeah, um, absolutely. Take us there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I, I had a realisation recently 
Yeah. Um, which I was like, so I, I meditate quite a bit and I was up on Mount Coco and I was diving in, I was doing like a, it's kind of like an emotion meditation mm-hmm. where, I, where I'll feel an emotion, go back to like a childhood memory and then like come back to the present and kind of like release it. And I figured out why I became a music producer. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Is so this was, exclusive yeah. like unveiling of yeah, the story? Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've told, I've told a couple of close people in my life. Um, now but, you're telling the world. Yeah, now I'm telling the world. So um, what it was like, I grew up in a family of, um, there were six of us, so there was four four kids. Yeah. Um, and I was the second of four. And my brother was like grade A student, captain of the basketball team, yeah. just like anything he, you know, dated mm-hmm. the prettiest girls. like, And so I was always like the little brother, you know, mm-hmm. like to him, I was always like in his shadow. And um, it wasn't until now that I realized the reason why I got into music was because that was something he didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so I was always like competing against my brother in basketball or, or whatever. And then um, I found this thing that he couldn't do and I could play guitar and I could like, I was mm-hmm. so passionate about music. And I, I don't think like that was purely subconscious. It's not like yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, this is something he can do. Um, he can't do, sorry. Um, but yeah, like thinking back now, I was like, I found like, I didn't have like a sense of um, self mm. without being Bryn's little brother. Yeah. Mm. So then I found music and I was like, whoa, this is my identity. Yeah. Mm. Um, consequently, I was talking to my sister yesterday um, and it turns out that my my sister below me, um, I was pretty mean to her because she started like listening to all my records Aww. and like, <sighs> and so I think as like a young again. kid, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was getting frustrated because she was starting to take my sense of self. So yeah. I was like, I was like, how do you like steal my melancholy CD? And, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so from a really young age, I just loved music. I mm. leaned really heavy, heavily into it. I remember hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time and mm. being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, picking up guitar and writing terrible love songs for my girlfriend and, you know, like, um, and I was like an obsessive lyrical writer. Like I'd go out to parties and then I'd come home and just like write like lyrics that I still have to oh, wow. this day. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I got the bug. I just got the the music bug and fell in love with it. And um, I was recording, um, it was like an album for mm. my college band. And um, we got this engineer that didn't know what he was doing. Um, and we recorded it in his mum's house and all this stuff. And we went Classic. to, we went to do the mixing and or he mixed it and then we're like, weren't happy with it. So we came around and I was telling him what to do. And he was mm. like, wow, you should be an engineer. And I was like, like really? Is God, like, is yeah. this you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Okay. Fine, strange man, I will. Um, and so it really, when he said that, it resonated with me because I was the one that was like mm. the driving force of the band. Like I was like, you know, really trying to shape the sonics and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I ended up, I, I did like a year of a Bachelor of Commerce because that's what you do when you don't that know was, what you want to be yeah, in life, yeah. right? You just get out and do the first, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so I did that, and then halfway through the course, I was like, there's no way I'm spending like the rest of my life like in an office with a suit. Um, so I just scrapped that. My parents were super supportive, and they were like, yeah, if you want to go and chase music, go and chase music. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I love um, that support. That's yeah. usually kind of uncommon, because a I lot know. of people do the... I mean, for me, it was a first year OE. Right. I called an OE. It wasn't. Yeah. I yeah. Um, failed biomed. <laughs> and I was like, actually, I want to do something a little bit, you know, like I wasn't allowed to do fine arts. Right. So I like settled on design. I was like, that's kind of yeah. the math, the art math. Right. You know, like that art kind math. Of, the art math. That like kind that. of way. Um, and then didn't stick with it either. But, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like still, yeah. still went that way. But no, it's really yeah. cool that they were so supportive. Well, like, your trajectory just kind of landed you in these Oh, totally. In these I've got the most supportive parents. Like, they've always just mm. whatever 
like any of us kids want to do. They're like, yeah, just do it. Like you only live once. Like, yeah. You know, what happens? You go and do it. It doesn't work out. Then you do something else. Wow. And, um, wow. So yeah. that's... Uh, like we know this, but that's yeah. really lovely yeah, to hear. Yeah. 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 And because usually <laughs> the people that are like encouraging people to take a safe path, they're not usually happy themselves, mm. yeah. you know, and they're trying to get other people to make the same, yeah. you know, silly decisions that they've made as well. Um, so no, I think like, yeah, they, they were just fully embracing it. They were like, yeah, if that's what you want to do, like go and do it. Um, and I remember when I was studying... Um, audio engineering and like the the main tutor was like yeah like none of you will ever work in a studio that's this nice ever again um wow, and that's really setting that man, <laughs> setting it, was, it up it was the best thing he could have said yeah because like um that just put like a fire under my ass where yeah. i'm like yeah, where i'm like true. i'm gonna show you like yeah. how, how dare you like you know try and like minimize my skills um and uh so i think i mean part of that i think is the fact that you know especially typically guys were really, really poor at comprehending mm. action and consequence. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so the consequence yeah. of me like really going hard into like music, um, I probably couldn't fully comprehend that because yeah. um, it was a very, very hard path. Um, so yeah, I kept like, I was hustling, I was working, I was trying to like get work. Um, I ended up doing live sound stuff. Mm. I ended up yeah. going over to England to try and become like a world famous music producer um, in the peak of the global financial crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, it was great. There was so much work over there. Actual um, consequence. <laughs> yeah. And so there was there was nothing. I rang around like 120 recording studios in London and all the studios were like, mm. we're, we're struggling to stay open. We can't hire new people. So I was like, cool, I'm over here having like an existential crisis. Um, I should probably do something safe and enroll in like a university course in like environmental management. Mm. Oh. Um, so I um, safe and sustainable. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, thinking to the future. Um, and on the plane back, I was like, I'd been looking for work as an audio engineer for for a really long time. This was 2010, and I was like, if there's one job advertised, like when I get back in that week before I start start my course, um, then I'm just going to go for it. And um, and I'd been looking for like yeah five years, and there was never anything advertised. Mm. So I landed back and um, I went on to seek and sure enough, there was a job advertised for an audio engineer and I was like, well, wow. this, is, this is crazy. It was up yeah. in Auckland yeah. and I was in Nelson and um, I gave them a call and I was like, I will literally jump on a plane right now if mm. you give me an interview. Like, mm. you know, like I'll do whatever it takes. And um, they were really like kind of taken aback by that. So we had a really nice <laughs> conversation and um, they were like, okay, we'll get in touch in a couple of days. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to uni in like three days. Um, and so I moved to Christchurch, hadn't heard from them. And I went into my very first lecture and my phone started ringing <laughs> and that was them. I like grabbed my bag, left the very first class, ran outside. They were like, do you still want that interview? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, do you want to jump on a plane? I was like, yeah. Um, so I flew up to Auckland from Christchurch oh and, um, and landed the job. And, uh, yeah. And so I was basically, um, like the head engineer for designing like I like a soundtrack for iOS apps. So doing like, it was basically mm -hmm. like, I mean, we did some pretty crazy projects. Like we did the soundtrack to the Bible, like oh, the oh. audio, the audio book version of the yeah. Bible. So we had like a lot of like top Wellington composers um, that were like doing the score for it. Um, wow, it, was, yeah. it was this massive behemoth of a project, but through doing that, they formed a partnership with Park Road Post. Mm. And so they needed to send me to Wellington to Park Road to work with the Park Road team to create like the Bible and <laughs> and other books. Um, and other books, and but other mainly books, the Bible. But mainly the yeah. Bible, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I ended up at Park Road, um, made like good friends with, um, with some of the guys there. And one of the guys kind of came in one day after I'd been there for maybe like six months. And he was mm. like, hey, just to let you know, like I'm going to quit to go freelance. Um, if you want a job at Park Road, you should hand your CV in tonight before I, you know, before I resign. 
And um, so I basically, I sent a, sent an email to the, you know, the head of sound at Park Road and I was like, hey, I'm thinking about quitting this app company that I'm working for. If anything comes up, let me know. And uh, yeah, I got, a, got an email back later that night being like, well, actually, <laughs> something might have just come up. So. Wow, the intel. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're you're extremely skilled, but all, like the... There's like the, a lot of like, you're like a godly slash universal yeah. something or other happening yeah, throughout you, that story. You were going down here regardless. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that, of course, that that is like the times that I succeeded. Yeah, you well, know, yeah. And, and bypasses all the times I failed. sounds like you took a lot of action like mm, a lot of mm. scary action did you have and it was like really fast too like did you have those classic limiting belief moments of like oh no this is so ridiculous like why would I like jump I can't jump on a plane right now I can't pay for this or I can't like did, was there much of that or were yeah. you just like no nah, I, th- I think like I knew I knew my shortcomings yeah and I knew that I wasn't like even even the boss um for the iOS app company he was like you weren't the most qualified for the job you know, he was like, there were definitely like other candidates that would have been like far more suited yeah. technically. But he was like, the fact that you wanted to fly from Christchurch to Auckland just for an interview, that's the kind of person we want to hire, mm. you know? And so I, I, I've i definitely seen, this has happened actually with a few like, um, a few like Massey graduates um, that are audio engineers mm. or whatever. There's been like a an internship at Roundhead and I'm like, go for it. Like I'll put in like a good word. Like, yeah. you know, like I've, like I've, I've got, like I know the people up there. I can like send them a message and be like, this person's really amazing. And they'll be like, oh yeah, but I've just signed up to a new flat. And you know, like mm. my girlfriend's just got a job and it's like, you don't want it enough. And un- unfortunately with this industry, there's yeah. so few opportunities that yeah. you've got to like, yeah. you've got to move hell and, is it, what does it move hell and high water? High water, yeah. Um, to, to make this happen because, yeah. like, opportunities don't come along very often. Um, and so when they do, you've just got to throw everything. And you've got to be flexible and, lim- yeah. and nimble to, like, um, yeah, to make the most of those opportunities mm. and see them as opportunities. Because um, I've seen a lot of people that, yeah, like in a roundhead internship opportunity where they'll be like, oh, I'll just wait for the next one. Mm. And it's like you yeah. can't yeah. wait for the next one because yeah. it might not happen. It's really interesting. Like, for me, I, I think a lot of people talk about – the fear of failure, mm. but in those situations, I hear a fear of success mm. when the opportunity is placed yes, right in front of that's you, exactly what's and it's like is. the success is right there. So they're actually afraid of like, oh, if I get this position, then I'm going to have to be this successful person, and I'm mm. not ready to, or I want to hold myself back, or I've got you know X Y Z reason to not you know step into that success. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like people don't talk about that enough no. because it's it's a real thing. Yeah, and you yeah. think I'm not set up enough to do this. Um, you know, I I don't know how to handle money or I don't yeah. have a good yeah. enough CV or like yeah. I'm but, not this yeah. person. Well people just need to take a step back like I was reading about this thing of that the 1% and not the bad 1% the 1% who go and actually do something are ahead of everyone else because they're the only ones doing that Yeah, yeah. and then from yeah. there there is you know so it's that whole yeah go for it yeah. do, do and, this because and, and failure is such an amazing teacher Yeah, uh, you yeah. know like failure is such like a rite of passage as mm-hmm. humans and people are scared of failure but that's how you grow like that's mm. how you learn like what to do and you think of like yeah the, the likes of like the, the Beatles engineer um, Jeffrey Merrick mm. who was 19 when he was like engineering like the Beatles like Sergeant Peppers mm-hmm. and like splicing up those tape loops and stuff like that and like potentially destroying like classic Beatles like <laughs> takes um, and he was 19 
And so, yeah, th- there is there is something as, as a society we get so scared of failure. Um, but I think either I'm just too stupid to like <laughs> to have the forethought yeah. to to think that I could fail, which of course I I think I will fail. Mm. Um, but I also think that like there's no point agonizing over something that hasn't happened because then like I was talking about this the other day with a friend like. If you're like worrying about something that hasn't yet happened, you're only going to hurt yourself twice. Yeah, yep. yes, yes, exactly. One of my favorite quotes. I yeah. have to tell a lot of my friends that they'll start. Right. They'll something will could potentially happen, and they're just there. It's already in their present. Yeah, and they can't yeah. get out. I'm like, when you're relieved by that, you've wasted this whole yeah. time yeah. just being there and already. And that's energy that is going to like make that failure yeah. happen as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, totally being being unafraid of failure um, and almost like. Like I love that quote in the Rick Rubin book, um, like practicing detachment where um, when something happens unexpected in your life in a negative way, you can take a step back and look at yourself as the protagonist in, or mm. like as the protagonist in the story and go, wow, I wasn't expecting that for the protagonist. Like yeah. I wasn't expecting that twist and turn. Like I wonder what's going to happen next mm. yeah. and trying to like practice that in your own life where it goes like, damn, like I wasn't expecting like this to happen. Mm. Um, and the, the curiosity around mm. like that negative situation and, and what can come from that. Mm. Um yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think another actually another quote that pops into my head that one of my good friends said a while ago was, "You miss a hundred percent of the opportunities you don't take," mm. and quite Classic. often we yeah we spend so much time <laughs> like thinking, "Oh, there'll always be another opportunity," yeah. and if there's one right in front of you, then mm. you know you've one hundred percent missed your opportunity yeah. if you if you're not taking it, um, yeah. and. Yeah, action, action, and opportunity is such an interesting thing that we oh hundred percent play around with. But I find what I found really interesting about your story is that you got to quote unquote this really high peak of success. Mm. Um, you're working at Park Road. You're working on some of the like most incredible films, um, and earning quite good money. Mm. And you made a decision to step back and actually mm. do a bit of a change. Do yeah. you want to talk us through mm. that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I always felt like I was like a fraud in the film industry. True. You know, like, so a lot of my friends that I was working with, um, who I still, you know, love dearly, um, they were like proper film buffs. Mm. You know, they just like, we would go and watch a movie together and they'd be like talking about the soundtrack. And I was like, I was just watching the movie. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about the Foley for? Yeah. I was like, I was just enjoying the film. Um, so I, I definitely love like storytelling aspects more than the sonics of mm. films. Um, but yeah, so the whole time that I was working there, I was producing bands. So I'd be like working from like nine to seven in film. And then I would use the studio there to like produce records. Um, and so like driving to and from, um, park road each day i'd be listening to like podcasts on like music production and um and just like fantasizing of building up my own studio where i can like produce bands from and um so i kind of like i got to the point where i was working on this like um this chinese film and it it ended up becoming like the highest grossing chinese film of all time like it grossed like a billion dollars it's like insane um but like i almost died in that process Mm. from like getting like a really severe case of pneumonia um and I just, like, the reason why it got so bad was because the film industry breeds this, like, there's no one else that could do the job that I was doing. And they were like, no, we need you to turn up to work, even though I was sick. Mm. They were, like, compassionate, and they were like, yeah, you know, we would love it if you didn't have to turn up to work, but... But, Um, And so I ended up, like, doing this recording session where I was recording this actress for, like, four hours, 
in the same room as her. And I said to my boss, like, I don't think I can hold in this cough. Like I've got such, like my whole side of my body was swollen. Um, and right. he was like, uh, well, there's no one else. Just see how you go. So I held in the cough for four hours. Um, the actress left and I just had like this severe coughing fit where it was so bad that one of my ribs actually cracked. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It was pretty intense. And one of my workmates found me on the floor and like, you know, I had like a 40 degree temperature and they took me to the doctor and they're like, yeah, you got pneumonia. Um, so when you said like you actually almost died, yeah, like you actually almost died. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but yeah, I was severely, <laughs> severely ill. That's, yeah. that's um, yeah, past burnout. That's like, yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very, very intense. So I, um, um, I think because of that, like it was a misdiagnosis a couple of times where they're like, yeah, you've just got the flu. Um, I was wrecked for about a year. Like, mm. so I like, yeah. I couldn't leave the couch for about three weeks after mm. that. Like I got to rewatch like all of the Game of Thrones, which was amazing. <laughs> um, but like even just the act of taking my young child to kindergarten and back, I'd need to have a two hour nap just from doing that. True. Um, and so I got really, really burnt out. And so... Um, after that, I was kind of just sitting there going like this, this industry is going to kill me. Like mm. it's, mm. I mean, that's, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but, um, like, all, like all the people that I saw that I was working with, they were missing out on their children's like sports games mm. and they were just missing out on life. And I love life more than I love my job. Mm. You know, like life is, yeah. I mean, I love my job. It's the best in the world, but like life is better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so I was like falling asleep one night when my second child was born and I was just laying in my, in my studio where I was like sleeping and I was just looking up at like all of my audio equipment and musical instruments and I'm like, what am I doing in the film industry? <laughs> like, yeah. like I really enjoyed the, um, the glam of it. Like I yeah. enjoyed meeting like Ridley Scott and George Lucas and um, like heaps of like amazing musicians would come through. So we met like all of Queens of the Stone Age and Nine Inch Nails and oh, yeah. um, Surge from um, System of a Down and stuff like that. Um, but at the end of the day, like, like if I wasn't like as soon as I would finish my day in the film industry, I was wanting to work on music. Mm. So I was like, I've, I've got to make that jump. So um, Neil, one of the lecturers at Massey who I'd worked with on The Hobbit, he reached out to me one day and he was like, hey, just to let you know, like um, we've just built this new, brand new recording studio. You know, you should come and have a look because I think you'd be like a great kind of like house engineer. And I was like, man, okay, that sounds cool. Um, and I just had that like awful period of pneumonia and I was yep. just like burnt out. And I was like, man, I got to get into music full time. And so I walked into that recording studio and had a look and I was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it is. Can yeah. vouch for. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely I've ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah. Have you not been in there? No, I've been oh, into oh, my, my friend um, used to be part of like lighting and video. So I might have like mm, been around it. Right. Mm, but you haven't um, actually like no. clapped your hands in the room. No, no. The next Tahini single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it should <laughs> be. It should be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like I, I went into that room and clapped my hands and heard the echo and I was like, oh, that's a beautiful yeah. echo. <laughs> and um, fell in love. And, um, and yeah, so I said yes to the job and then I said no. <laughs> so I actually, I, I said yes. And then Park Road found out when I, when I resigned, they freaked out and they just threw like a whole bunch of money at me oh. and they were like, we'll do what we can to wow. like keep you there. Um, and I was like, oh, that's, and they were like, we'll let you work the hours that you want. If you want to work nine to five, we'll make, find a way to make that happen. And I was like, damn, okay, this is like, how could I pass that up? Mm. And, um, sorry. And, and then it was the night that I fell asleep in my studio and then yeah. I was like, no, actually, I've, I've got to go with music. Yeah, and um, yeah. so I chose music. And I had to, I actually had to convince Massey to give me another chance. Oh, yeah. Because they were like, you're saying yes, you're saying no. Like, it's you're like, pretty hot and cold um, here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually had to like rebuild yourself. the trust a little bit there, which was quite funny. But um, yeah. but then after a while, um, when I got the job, I was like, oh, this is actually like, 
the studio wasn't even finished. And, <laughs> and so I spent um. all of my time hanging out with the students, which at first I was like, I was a little bit like, oh, students. And then after a wee while, I was like, this is amazing. The students were like my people, you know, yeah. like mm. I didn't hang out in the staff kitchen. I was hanging out with the students, like eating lunch up there. Cause like, I still feel like I'm like a, you know, 19 year old, you know, in mm. my heart. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was really fun. Like got to meet like a whole bunch of like talented musicians there. Um, and then when the COVID lockdown happened, the first one, I was just so swamped with my business, Tiny Triumph Recordings that I was doing outside of the Massey job, Mm. um, that I was kind of looking at my, my projects and I was like, I've got like six months of work, like every single day, you know, like consistent Mm. work. Um, I'm like, I've got to either turn pretty much all of these projects down or I've got to quit Massey. Um, and so there's this Tim Ferriss, I don't know if you know Tim Ferriss, he's the guy that wrote the four hour work week. Um, which is, um, yeah, a really great book, but he, he, he has this thing called fear defining methods. So what you do is you, um, you write down what it is that you want to do and then you write down all the worst things that could happen. Mm. And so it's like, okay, I want to quit my job and, um, produce music full time. And then you go, okay, well, um, I get no work, you know, and can't Mm. pay my mortgage. Um, my studio that I built, um, like burns down. Um, I get sick and can't work. You get work. really creative with it, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. very, very creative. Yeah. And so then the next page is, okay, what are some preventative measures? Mm. So on the, by the end of the first page, you're like, there's no way I can quit my job. These are way too scary. This is a catastrophe. Yeah, this yeah. is like, this is just, it's incomprehensible. Mm. Um, and then the second page is like, what are preventative measures? Okay, what are some things that I could do to prevent that from happening? Mm. And it's like, okay, well, I could... Um, like make sure that I've got like a rainy day fund that I've put enough money aside. Um, uh, or if my studio burns down, get like good insurance, you know, yeah. whatever. And so you go through and do this thing and you do the preventative and it's like, oh, that's not so bad. And then you turn the next page and it's like, okay, what is the worst case scenario if those things happen? And it's like, well, I sell my house and it's like, well, that's not really the end of the world, you know, mm-hmm. like I move in with my parents again with yeah. three kids, you know, <laughs> um, and you, you get to the bottom of that worst case scenario and you're like, actually, these are pretty manageable things. And then you get to the last page and it says, what um, happens if there's inaction? So what happens if you don't do mm. this right now? And you get to that bottom of the page and you're like, I've got to quit my job, yep. you know? Yeah, and yep. so I went in the next day and quit Eureka my job. moment. And uh, yeah, thank you, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out. I actually have a question, though. You have been speaking about mindfulness and obviously mm. all these really enriching books for you, mm. and you've you know told us your journey or some of it. Mm. Um, how did you get into that part? Because that usually you don't hear that in the same sentence as mm. music. It's it's usually just all about the burnout or all about this, <laughs> yeah. or all about you know the the, the technicality or the jargon, but never about being aware of yourself yeah. or having intention or these kinds of things that you're bringing up. Yeah, um, my my path is maybe a little bit surprising in that um, I had like a really severe back injury about seven years ago where I crushed my spine with like 100 kgs um, and like my hip was like popped out of the side and I couldn't walk um, for like, not, you know, like I couldn't walk for like a week. Um, but since then, like I've never had a day without pain. Mm. So like my back is just always in pain. Mm. Um, and so um, I kind of went through all of this stuff and like um, – and like did like all of like the physio and the osteo and the acupuncture and like all of the things and uh, nothing fixed it um, and found out that what it is is it's a chronic pain condition. So mm. it's like it's a neuro- neurological disorder. Yeah. Um, so the pain doesn't actually exist in my back. 
Um, it's yeah. my brain misfiring and thinking that it does. Mm. Um, and so I started getting into meditation as, um, as a way to like manage the pain because um, it's, yeah, meditation's a funny thing because like um, people really don't like sitting alone with their own thoughts. Mm-hmm. They really don't. In fact, there was a study recently that said that um, they got like a bunch of like guys and girls together and they offered them either 15 minutes alone with their own thoughts or an electric shock. Um, girls were better than guys. I think 30% of girls took the electric shock, um, but 40% of guys took the electric shock because they were so afraid of sitting with their own thoughts. And so, yeah, I I started really leaning heavily into just sitting with my own thoughts and um, realizing that like pain is inevitable in life. life. We're always going to have pain, but suffering is a choice Mm. um, and we can choose whether we want to suffer. I mean, obviously there's some situations where suffering is like inevitable, but Mm. generally suffering is a, is a um, psychological pursuit. Mm. Um, so I spent a lot of time really diving into meditation to try and like reframe the way that I view my back. So when I have like, I, I try not to call it back pain. And mm. in fact, like I'll say like my back sausage is flaring up <laughs> or my, my back courgette because it makes me smile and that yeah. releases like endorphins <laughs> into yeah. my brain. And, um, and so I, I leaned really heavily into that, went on like silent retreats and, um, like, um, yeah, and really leaned into like the psychological aspect of it. Mm. And what I started um, realizing is that we're not our thoughts. Like um, we're like merely experiencing thought. And like a lot of people would be like, "What do you mean? Like you're not your thoughts?" And it's like, well, if you if you sit alone, like if you truly think you have control over mm. your thoughts, like just sit there with your eyes closed for a minute and just don't think. Like you know, like psychopaths yeah. who don't have inner monologues. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or, or that some people have it just in like, images, gosh. and it's not in, but it's not in yes. like mental spoken yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. You're not psychopaths. So I'm just really jealous. Yeah. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like people, people really assign themselves so heavily with their thoughts. Um, but when you go on like a really long silent retreat or you really dive heavily into meditation, you start realizing that thoughts are just like another appearance in consciousness, mm-hmm. just like a sound is an appearance. Um, and so like a lot of people um, spend so much time suffering, not even realizing that they have the power um, or the tools potentially to be able to just navigate that suffering mm-hmm. that when like those negative like self-talk or whatever comes along, they do have the ability with like meditation and mindfulness to actually just gently nudge those away and go, actually, this doesn't, this doesn't help my life in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get that with my back pain, like my back's flaring up and instead of going, ouch, that really hurts. I go, oh, that's really interesting. That like, that's like a strong negative like sensation there. And instead of like mm-hmm. staying away from it, I often lean into it and actually like meditate on mm-hmm. that sensation and feel it like as something not to be afraid of, but to something to to, like experience and be curious about um and so i i definitely see like in the um in the music industry there's like man it could be like the most amazing thing if people got into meditation because so many people are really really heavily anxious and depressed yeah um and like when you when you really spend a lot of time with with your thoughts and meditation you realize that the thoughts are just arising like mm. you don't properly have um, the autonomy over your thoughts in the way that we think we do. Like if I said right now, like what's the first album of the nineties that comes to your mind? Have you got one? Do you know any albums no. from the nineties? Do you know what came straight to my head? It, yeah. Like it's not even like the now compilations, which yes, is obviously not even, yeah. but that was, yeah. 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 
But, but that, you, you know, like, <laughs> like when you when you spend time yeah. with meditation and you sit there and you ask yourself mm-hmm. that question, you realize that that thought just arises. It's not like you sit there and just go, yeah. I'm going to choose that one. It's like, oh, just something just pops into my head. Mm. Um, and so I think a lot of people um, don't have the ability to um, practice detachment with those negative thoughts that arise. Um, so they spend so much time really just like lost in deep negative thoughts. And it's like if you spend time with meditation and mindfulness, you can realize that you do actually have like a choice to actually choose suffering or, you know, choose, I guess, liberation yeah. from that kind of psychological warfare that goes on there. But it, it takes a long time. And like on the silent um, on the silent retreat that I went on last year, by the end of day seven, uh, we broke silence and like a whole bunch of people just burst into tears. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I've seen, I've seen um, uh, reveals or things like right. that, especially when it's been um, no sight. Yeah. And just, just complete silence, just, mm. cr- just tears, just looking yep. at everything and it, like taking it in again mm. and seeing what it's like to actually f- have that sense back. Yeah. Or like what, you know, what that means. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you've, um, like you've found mindfulness and meditation um, through quite an extreme experience. Yes. Mm. yes yeah. Very um, extreme. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. recommend it to my yeah. 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 Um, but I guess like that's really interesting because I think a lot of the time as um, people in general, but also I think creatives, when it comes to taking care of ourselves and our person, we wait until we are at some kind of extreme Mm. level. Um, And that is the only point where we feel worthy of intervention of ourselves. And that's when you need it the most. Yeah, Yeah. and that's when we need it the most. But then um, I think that really plays into like these sorts of practices not being normalized as Mm. just like, actually really incredible for your daily welfare. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like there's, yeah. there's been so many real life situations where I've handled a, a certain situation in a way because of all the meditation yeah. practice and it reinforces like um, this happened like maybe about six months ago or something. I was walking down the street and there was this guy walking towards me with a dog and I was like a little bit distracted because I was talking to my brother on the phone and um, the dog basically just like lunged into my leg and oh. like, bit me, like kind of oh, like true. ripped my jeans. And I was like, oh, what? You know, I swore. And the guy started like swearing his head off at me, being like, how do you swear at my dog? And I was like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. And um, they're just like, there came this sense of like compassion mm. where I'm like, that poor guy, like, it, it, which is a bit, of, a, a little bit ridiculous because I'm pitying him and mm. that's not a nice emotion to feel towards another person. Um, but there was this moment where I just felt like truly sorry for him that that's his existence in the world Mm. and that he hasn't done the work that he needs to in order to realize that he was in the wrong there. Um, and, um, and, and so that was a moment that I think because of like the mindfulness and meditation, like I realized in that moment, he was just acting in the way that he knew Mm. best because of the way he's been conditioned and, you know, all of his thought processes and all of that kind of stuff. So I actually, there was like a genuine like compassion in that moment for someone who was like, you know, verbally and physically like, you know, almost abusing me. Can you, just for people who may be hearing these terms for the first time, yeah. mm. um, can you give us like a little bit of a, a definition or an expansion on what mindfulness is mm. and um, I guess the process of meditation? Because specifically with meditation, I know when I started my practice, I was like, this is this huge thing and I have to sit down for four hours and yeah. have nothing pop into my brain. So, yeah, yeah do you want to kind of unpack that? A bit yeah, more? totally. Well, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, because a lot of people do sit in meditation and truly not find anything of interest, yep. you know, and, and I think the reason why that is, is because we spend, um, all of our day in our heads. Mm. So we just think we have the ability to control our thoughts or to like see this insight, but 
it is a completely different practice. And that, that would be like me deciding to run like a, you know, like a half marathon without ever running in my life, yep. mm. you know, and you, you get out and you run like, you know, 20 meters down the road and you're like, this is bullshit. And that's what it's like with meditation. Like people sit there, they get like distracted and lost some thoughts for like, you know, five minutes. And then they're like, oh, this just isn't working. And mm. it's, a, it's like everything, like weightlifting, anything. Mm. It requires constantly turning up and practicing. Yeah. Um, but, um, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's meditation and mindfulness of, often go hand in hand yep. and mindfulness is, is usually like the, the waking life, real life version of meditation in mm. practices that you do. So it'd be like sitting here drinking a, a sip of my tea and actually really focusing on the sensation of the warmth in my mouth and, you know, the, the drink going down my throat, or it could be washing the dishes and mm. feeling like the temperature on my hands um, and really just focusing awareness on a single thing because we're so distracted as a society mm -hmm. that we need, like, all of these things going on all of the time. Mm. And that just creates a really chaotic mind, which creates a really chaotic life. Um, so my meditation practice um, usually consists of me sitting down and um, I'll usually sit for 20 minutes, sometimes up to an hour, but usually just like 20 minutes. Um, and I'll literally just be focusing on sensations. Like, um, So a lot of people will just focus on the breath. They're yep. just focusing on like inhale and exhale and really just like watching the breath come up and down. Um, and I mean, I did that for seven days on the retreat, just focusing on the breath. And mm. oh my God, the exhale was like the most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> just the feeling of an exhale was just yeah. like pure ecstasy. Um, but with my meditation, I generally just sit there and I just focus on sensation. And uh, a thought would be a sensation, you know, something arising. I, I notice it, I nudge it on its way, or I hear like a dog barking mm. and I notice it. I don't label it. I just sit there and notice it. Um, and you just get to this point where you have just a really calm mind and you become like, I think more perceptible of things that are actually happening and you're, you're less like driven by the ego. You're less driven by um, these like unconscious thought processes that have been like building up our entire lives. Mm. And it almost gets to the point where you feel like you can look at each moment with a fresh perspective yeah. mm. um, rather than looking at it through those pre-existing biases that we've built up over a lifetime. Yeah. Um, so it's a really, really powerful tool. And I think it's like, like I don't, I don't feel any anxiety in life at the moment. And I think, like a, a big portion of that is just that meditation practice yeah. and just like knowing that in each moment I'm doing exactly as I always would, yeah. you know, like if, mm. if we rewound the clock to five minutes ago and every atom in the universe was put back mm. in exactly the same way, I would have said things exactly the same as what I did in that moment. So I think when you really dive into that process, you realize that you can practice forgiveness and compassion mm. in a really like easy and authentic way because you know mm. that everyone else is doing the best they can in yeah. the moment. Yeah. Um, and maybe they can do better in the next moment, but in that moment they did precisely as they did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I do find that really sitting there and just clearing the mind um, just really gives you a chance to find um, joy and bliss and tranquility. And those are very helpful emotions yeah. to, to navigate this, like, stormy, yeah. stormy yeah. weather well, of life. Especially in creativity. Like, yeah. How, with all of that, you kind of came about it because of the the experience you had with your, with your back. How was that translated into music or how did it trans like has it transformed your music i mean it yeah how to shame <laughs> I, I i feel more like an antenna now. yeah um, sure so i feel like um rather than projecting my own biases onto things um or my own ideas or my own ego i'm literally just i'm responding to the sensation of the music that's coming out of the speakers mm -hmm. so like we'll, we'll be recording a track and i'll be listening and as like maybe a verse kind of like we're listening through a verse, um, 
I'll feel like an emotion in my body or I'll feel something and I'm like, oh, something's not right here. It feels yeah. like there's a dissonance. Um, and then I'll be like, okay, well, what could that be? And I'll just be, it'll be like a sense of inquiry. It'll be like, okay, is it, is it that the, the vocal isn't like performed in the right way? Is it the drums aren't hitting hard enough? Um, and so I'll be just literally just like throwing out questions and then listening to what my body is kind of telling me. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I operate from a much more sensory point of view yeah. rather than my mind being like, oh, no, I heard this Taylor Swift song the other day and it had this really dope vocal <laughs> echo. That's what it needs. Yeah. And it's like, mm. no, like what is the song actually telling you? Because I think a lot of people come into producing music with an ego, with being like, this is the way it should be. And it's like yeah. no one knows how it should be. It's like just listen to what's listen to what's happening and, yeah. and, and you respond to what's happening in the moment without any preconceived notion. Um, and mm. I think that's a really, really beautiful um, way to like, I, I feel like that's nurturing the song yeah. um, as opposed yeah. to nurturing the ego. What's unique to every single thing instead of, you know, being a producer who's like, I only use these plugins, these yeah. VSTs, 808s yeah. only. Like, yeah. you know, and like that's the yeah. I mean, that should, that should be the rule, but yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but then you, you have a kind of like, I don't want to say it's probably not the right term, but like the emotional sensitivity of mm. the of the song or of the components of the people involved of You're these really kinds of things. leaning into like the integrity of the individual yeah. project and the intention yeah. and the yeah. intention of the yeah. project. And I think that's actually something that um, shout out to Robbie in the booth, hey, <laughs> Robbie, hey. um, that he and I have spoken about before. In that, like, when you're working on a song. It's so easy to get overwhelmed by work that you've done on it previously mm. and also like yeah. if, especially if you, it's taken a long time to work on um, and also get overwhelmed by like what it should sound like yes. depending on the goals of the song. And I think, you know, exactly what you said just lays out beautifully really just coming back to the intention of that song and doing that song justice and doing yeah. also yourself justice and the work that you've put into it um, already, yeah. Um, I think that shows like a lot of respect for for the project in front of you. Yeah, I, mm. I think that's it. To, to, like to me, music is really sacred. Mm. Like I, you know, to me, it's it is it's basically real life magic. Yeah. Like I think mm. there's there's two things that Beautiful. are magic in life, and that is the placebo effect, which is <laughs> magic, yeah. and music. You know, like it literally starts as nothing. Like there's nothing going yeah. on there, and then all of a sudden there's like a spark, and then six months later to a year, it's like being played at people's weddings, or they're crying mm. because it hits an emotion, and that's mm. like that's crazy. Like and that so it's a really sacred thing, and, and so I think when we inject our ego into it and we try to tell a song what it what it needs to be. Um, I think it's doing a disservice. I, I much prefer to let the song tell you what it wants mm. to be. Um, and so I think that that's kind of in a way why I can work with so many different bands. Like, you know, like what we were talking about before, like on mm. Friday, there was like, um, there's so many different songs that I'd produced that all released yeah. on the same day. There was like some like hard rock kind of like metal kind of ish kind of songs. There was mm. like, yeah, like soul funk. There was like pop. There was, um, uh, like kind of like Avril Lavigne style, like rock. Yeah. Like yeah. there was all these different things. And, um, I think that just comes from just like allowing the song to speak to you yeah. um, as opposed to trying to like force it into this box. Yeah. yeah. You said that you, um, as a producer, you're quite like, you're very intentional with the projects that you take on. Mm. Um, and, and if something doesn't feel aligned, then you won't, you know, you won't go forward with it. What is... If you're if you're able to kind of like take each project as it comes, what differs one project from another in terms of yes, I'll I'll do this and no, I won't. Mm. Yeah, that's a really great question. I 
I mean, I think the the human voice is a big component mm. of that. Like, I have to feel like I believe the singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, the voice doesn't have to be great. I just have to believe them, mm. you know? And I think that's really important. Like, if you listen to Bob Dylan's voice and you're like, mm. but you believe him, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and and same with Kurt Cobain, you know, like, um, or Morrissey or whoever mm. it is, like Tracy Chapman. I, I mean, she's got an incredible voice, but you believe <laughs> her, you know? And I think it's that yeah. believability. And I think that's what sets um, artists like Adele, um, just like apart from mm. like a lot of other pop singers, is that when you listen to Adele, like she is singing from this place of just raw emotion, yeah. and you're like, I might not like her music, but I believe her. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think that's what I'm always looking for is that believability, um, in that a project or an artist feels authentic. You know, it feels mm. like their expression mm. is an authentic thing. Um, because yeah, if if I agree to take on a project that I don't enjoy or don't believe then I'm kind of wasting my own time, mm. which I value. Like, I really value my own time. Mm. And I'm also wasting their time. Yep. I'm also not going to be able to um, bring out the best in their project because I don't believe in it from the mm. outset. Yeah. So I, I need to just say yes to projects that I believe in so then I feel like we can really collaborate into making something truly, truly great. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're really setting, like, you're setting your um, energy at mm. the level that you want to yeah. be and, yeah. and therefore you're only accepting things that resonate yeah. at and cause then when I'm ex- or above. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and because then when I'm excited in the studio, which I am, like I've got the best job in the world, like it's mm. ridiculous mm. like that excitement that I emanate with like is authentic. It's like I'm actually like when when a singer does like a really great take, and I'm like that was fucking amazing. Like it's it's, it's authentic <laughs> yeah. because I took on that project because yeah. you know I believed in it, um, mm. as opposed to it coming from a fake place as being like yeah like that that was amazing and uh, like all I'm consider all I'm caring about is the money going into my bank account. Like yeah, that's yeah. just not what I'm in it for. You know, yeah. I left the film industry like yeah. because I don't care about money. Yeah. I want to be able to like work on music. It's like. The, the greatest gift in the world. You know, my dad worked in a port for 45 years, like as like a tugboat engineer. It's like, mm. that's a proper job. Yeah. You know, like what I've got isn't a proper job. It's just <laughs> like, it should be fun. It should be playful. <laughs> yeah. It should be like enjoyable. Um, the fact that I get to do it for a living should just be a really like beautiful, fun experience. Mm. And mm. I, unfortunately this industry is riddled with like really grumpy people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Actually, that was something else that I wanted to talk to you about is that, um, I mean, to be like, to just, just point out the obvious, mm. you're a man mm. in the music industry mm. who, who is Pakiha, <laughs> who d- turned down a really high paying job mm. to work in a studio and to have a co-papa of like having a really welcoming and opening mm. studio who also uses meditation and mindfulness in his mm. daily practice, um, what the fuck? Yeah, that's pretty yeah. weird. Eh? Like, yeah. That's, well, yeah, half you, the things that you've said, I've just been like, these are the rarest things that I think I've yeah. ever heard about. Or like the <laughs> the combination of all of them, or the timing, or mm. it's just a very rare set of things you are. Mm. <laughs> you know? yeah. But did you feel like when you were kind of discovering this path and making these decisions, did you get pushback from from your peers and people mm. around you? Oh, I mean, people definitely think I'm weird. Yeah, because yeah. it's, yeah. it's all, you know, yeah. I mean, the, the trope of sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. And, you know, the kind of the mm. after, you know, after your gig, what happens then, you know, the parties, mm. are, that kind of thing. Whereas it's it's kind of polar. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, creating safe spaces is so mm. important. Like, because mm-hmm. traditionally there has been um, a lack of safe spaces in this industry. Yep. And to me that's, you know, I've had a lot of um, people that are really close to me in my life that have been victims of sexual abuse mm-hmm. um, and have, have really struggled from, like, toxic 
you know, masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to me, I've seen the suffering that has caused so many people. And like, I don't know, like, I, I just think like, um, it's so important to, to allow people to have this as an outlet where they can express the feelings mm. that they need to in a safe environment. Cause this is a very vulnerable thing, Yeah, you know, like creating music and getting your music out there is so vulnerable. And if you're doing that in an environment where, um, you've got some grumpy, you know, male engineer there, like barking orders and telling mm. you how things need to be. I just don't think that's how you get the best out of anyone. Yeah. And that's, of course, that's not why I'm doing it. It comes mm. from a place of like, like I truly want to make the world a better place. I've, you know, I've been vegan for 14 years now, yeah. you know, mm. because I want to like, I want to leave the world better than what it was when I came in here and, you know, and like trying to like, yeah, trying to fight climate change, you know, like I, I it was a really big thing for me to be able to like, know that when I look my kids in my eyes mm. and when 2050 and there's no fish left in the ocean to, to be like, I did what I could Cope. to make this world a better place. Mm. Um, because like a lot of us can't say the same about our parents. Mm. My parents are amazing though. They're incredible humans, but, <laughs> but I, I really wanted to be able to, um, be able to be, um, authentically, um, like honest about just like trying to live the best life that I possibly mm. can. Um, because like, even though suffering is, you know, like it's kind of a choice in a way. Um, it's, you know, and, but we can't necessarily completely control our actions in the, in the way that we think we can. Um, suffering is still real and so is happiness and so yeah. is joy and so is mm -hmm. tranquility. Mm -hmm. And when you choose better choices and you treat people with kindness and respect, you just have a better life. You feel better. You create yeah. good karma. And Well, what you focus on, you create more of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And I don't like hanging out with dickheads. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, I like being Neither in the studio with like with nice people. Yeah. And like, yeah. and with so music nerds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so this is a big yeah. thing as well. Like when I take on a job, um, it's not just because I believe in the project, but I'll always catch up with them first to try and get a gauge for how they mm. are as a person. Because if I'm spending like a week in the studio with someone, mm. I want to know that they're a decent human being and they're not going to be like, mm. yeah, like, I don't know, like racist yeah. <laughs> yeah. or sexist or yeah, like yeah. Um, minimum but yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. but um like why aren't there more of you yeah not you specifically but yeah. what I'm trying to talk about is I've like got th I mean there's three more of me little kids <laughs> that, are, you know, that, that hopefully all grow up to be my apprentices one day. Yeah. but um you know you have like spoken on like a lot of you know, we said before, quite extreme circumstances that have led you into the person that you are today. Mm. And what I'm really curious about and something we've spoken about on the podcast before is small actions create a big wave. Mm. And and we don't have to, um, although I totally commend you, don't have to be vegan for 14 years. No, 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 no. You know, but, um, but like just to kind of humanise it, because I think one of the things that we really like to do is try and create like little bite-sized pieces that people can take away and integrate into their lives. Mm. You know, what were some of the things that you first started doing? Like what was the, what were those first steps yeah. when it came to mindfulness? What were the first steps when it came to building a space that felt mm. welcoming? I think from the mindfulness point of view, um, like I'm quite fascinated in, um, uh, in how the brain works, mm. you know? And, and so, um, I would listen to a lot of podcasts on, um, on how the human brain works and that kind of led me into the human condition. And so I would listen to a lot of like Sam Harris podcasts where he'd be talking about concepts like determinism, which is like a lack of free will. Mm. Um, and so I'd just be like, I'd just go down this rabbit hole of like, of um, all of these things that led me into this whole realm of um, like mindfulness and meditation. And then I just started hanging out with more people. And um, and cause, cause it is that thing, like, right. That you're the aggregate of the five people that you hang out with the most. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I've had to cull people from my lives because I know that um, even though I love them dearly and I've, they've been like legacy friends, mm. they actually don't um, help me create a positive life. They actually mm. drag me down. And so I've um, been, yeah, I've, I've had to remove people from my life that I'm like, actually, this person isn't good for me. It's not good for my kids. You know, it's not good for my environment, my, for my mental state. Um, so I think just like going through that process and it's it's all just like an incremental step. Like I think like who I am now is not who I was five years ago mm. and who I was five years ago, definitely who I wasn't who I was like in my early 20s. Um, uh, and um, what was the other question? <laughs> <laughs> no, just like wanting to get an idea of like the, oh, the small safe spaces. Yeah, and, safe spaces. Yeah. And... yeah, I don't know. Like I just, I, I've I've always been that way inclined, you know, like I, my parents are really kind people, mm. you know, like um, my mum just like loves fiercely and has like a big heart and, and my dad is like a really strong moral compass. And I think I just had like a really great upbringing where mm. I had two really positive role models in my life that, that taught me um, to try and like just keep recalibrating my compass. Mm. Um, and so in, in life we go through this process where we like start drifting away from what our moral compass is pointing us towards. And then we're like, oh crap, like I'm down this path that I didn't even expect. Mm. And then we just got to recalibrate. And I think the, the beautiful thing about mindfulness and meditation is it gives you a chance to recalibrate your compass every single day. Mm, you know, you yeah. start off the day and you get there and you just like, you sit with your like, cause I know that I, like if I go three or four days without meditating, I can feel it. Like I can yeah. like, wow. I can yeah. feel myself yeah, totally. like, sitting at a red light and being like a little bit more frustrated. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, okay, I really need to meditate. Um, and so I think that recalibration, also I do this thing where um, I write, like I've written like a mission statement as to mm. who I am and how I want to show up in the world. Mm. So when I get to my studio each morning and I open up my computer, it's the first thing that pops up mm. and I just sit there with my coffee and I read my mission statement. So it reminds me how I want to show up in the world that day, how I want to like communicate with the artists that I'm um like with that day or like emailing. Um, and these are all things that just keep me recalibrating my moral compass to make mm. sure that I'm going down that path because it is so easy to veer. Yeah, um, so easy. With so, yeah. so much going on around you, so much, you know. Yeah. 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 I think perfect sense. as I think a really common thing in our industry is we kind of separate ourselves out from our artist. Uh, mm. Like... You know, we see this journey, and I'm, I'm talking specifically, I think, about the music industry here from my experience, is that we see this, like, journey to our version of success, often fame, mm. when you're mm. first starting out. Um, and and you completely detach, like, your journey from mm. yourself and how you grew up and what that might mean on yeah. that journey, yeah. you know? And so I see quite often people going through their lives, um, and I think this is relevant to a lot of people, and that they go, why aren't things working for me? Mm. Or like, yeah. why am I behaving this way? This is just how I am. Yeah. Why am I not here? Yeah, why yeah. am I not here? Yeah. Um, but 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 they don't realise that they need to actually like take a step back in who you are and how you take care of yourself mm. and how you listen to yourself. Um listen from a point to understand, not mm. to answer, is is so integral to that process yeah. and yeah. that journey. You, yeah. can, you can't attach your self-worth to your successes. Mm -mm. You yeah. know, it's like if, if you look at Mount Everest, right, and um, it takes two months to climb to climb to the top of Mount Everest, mm. and most people stay on the top for five to 15 minutes. Mm. And it's literally like, mm. but people, people like often will do it to get to that high peak, but we don't live on the peaks. No. You yeah. know, we, we live on the journey. And so I think learning to really love 
the the process, learning to love the journey to get to the top, that's the only thing that you can really control because you yeah. can't even control if you get to the top. Yeah. So I yeah. think really just like learning to to love that process. Um, because if you assign your sense of self-worth to your successes, that is something that isn't controllable. Mm. Of course, you can do yeah. everything you can to like try and have the best chance of success. But actually like, I think the biggest thing is like people need to redefine what success is. Mm. Um, mm. And to me, success is achieving um, achieving what you set out to do from like a purpose standpoint. Um, there, there was actually this interesting study that I was recent, uh, reading like earlier today where um, they grabbed like a whole bunch of people and um, they did like a test to see what their self-worth was before they started this test um, and uh, and what their purpose was. Like, So there was like a whole bunch of people that had like a really strong purpose and a whole bunch of people that didn't. And then they got them to beta test this new social networking platform. And what they had to do was like upload a picture of a, a selfie to the platform. And then the people doing the test would, would say, oh, you've, you've had five likes, you've mm. had 10 likes or whatever. Um, and the people that didn't have a purpose, they often, um, their self-worth would fluctuate depending on how, li- how many likes the photo mm. got. Whereas people that had the purpose, mm. the likes didn't interfere mm. with that at all. They were like, mm. well, that's cool, but like it doesn't affect who I am. Yeah. And so I think so many people, they'll, they'll think, oh, I've got like a million streams on Spotify. That's what my worth is. Yeah. Um, and they'll do all of these things that they'll release a song and it gets a million streams. And they'll be like, oh, God, yeah, okay, I've made it. And then they'll release another song and it gets 10,000 streams. And then they'll be like, oh, damn, and that will affect their self-worth because they've been thinking that that number is what their worth is. But actually, like, that is something that you can't control. You can't control what anyone else thinks of you. Mm. You know, like, so many people listening to this right now is probably like, that guy's such a dick. Um, And that's fine. Like, I can't control that. And I'm not going to, like... I'm my self-worth. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't doesn't affect it in any way Mm. um, because I can't control that. Um, And so I think really, like, I think that's where, like, a lot of the mindfulness and meditation works where it really helps you like cement your self-worth is something that you control. Mm. You know, it's something that yeah. I have the ability to to decide how I'm going to feel about myself today. And that's mm. not how my boss is treating me. That's not how my like partner is treating me or like that guy down the street. You know, it's like, like I decide on mm. it, on how I think of myself and that is not reflected in Spotify numbers. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah for sure. Um, we even, I mean, in a kind of, and I, I think about this often. I don't follow a kind of um, mindfulness or like I, that kind of um, method. But um, about what you were saying mm. about the kind of linearness mm. of your succession, it's kind of always exponential. If that's where you're, if you're always mm. heading upwards, yeah. there's no end. There's mm. no kind of point. And um, I read this paper while I was at uni years ago, and. Um, it was about the indigenous model, and it's something that I think a lot of like it's a very big Maori worldview, as mm. well as many other like First Nation um, peoples. But it's about your worldview being cyclic, mm. and if you think about it in intergenerational living, if you think about it in people um, thriving because of the land's thriving, and it's mm. all abundant, and it's mm. it's in a continuous cycle. So there isn't, you know, the the old look after the young and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of thing. It's not about succession. Mm. It's just about sustainability and mm. maintaining and that kind of thing. And I feel like that is also another part in, in yeah, this totally. of like, if it's, you know, don't see that end result. Cause there is no, there is no there end is to no it. End. It's no. just how yeah. you, you get to that peak yeah. and you realize there's another peak. There's yeah, a whole, yeah. Yeah. And you just, yeah. you just keep going and that's, it's yeah. Like you said, it's the journey. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, like I've, I've seen this in like, in some of my workmates that, you know, like have won like a couple of Academy Awards mm. and they're always chasing that next Academy yeah. Award because they've got other colleagues that have got more. Mm. And it's like, you can't, like you can't chase Cause 
anyone that wins an award like that, they get it. And they're like, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Mm. And then five minutes later, they go, oh, crap, I'm exactly the same person as mm, what yeah. I was before I got this award. This is yeah. like, this is what I was chasing yeah. and I'm here and it's empty, yeah. you know? And it's like, yeah, so I, I think, um, but one thing that you were saying about not having like a, a, a mindfulness practice, you're a bass player, mm. you know? And like, <laughs> even just like sitting there and actually playing bass, that's an act yeah. of like yeah. mindfulness. Like mm. if you're sitting there and you're jamming with a band, that is like a, a form of meditation. You get lost in the music and mm. you're just like responding to what the drummer is doing and you're listening yeah, to yeah. your, to, like that. that is just another extinction mm. of mindfulness. Do you know what's kind of funny about that actually? Because I'm in, I'm in two bands. <laughs> you don't listen to the drummer? Yeah, like, <laughs> Barney, I'm sorry, but yeah. I don't even hear no, no. What's um, the I one? always try to get in his pocket. But um, <laughs> I'm also in a band called Sig Wilder and Friends. Mm. And I always talk about when I'm there how I close my eyes all the time mm. because I'm drifted off. or And I keep telling him to go to like... Um, those kind of like publicists or agencies for like movie songs. So I'm like every every song I'm taken into into mm, something, yeah. and I'm yeah. like it reminds me of like it's midwestern and yeah. like and you've just <laughs> gone back to your you know to your local town like very kind of cliche things. But it it takes me then, so I have to say it straight as soon as the song finishes. I'm like it reminds me of this. Yeah. You need to and without fail every practice we have, my eyes are always closed and I'm not. I'm not yeah. there. Yeah. Whereas, you know, that sometimes happens with Tahini, but that's a whole different type of collaboration. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. Maybe I am mindful. Yeah. Like in that, in no, that setting, totally. I guess I am. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, and I, I feel that the same with a lot of artists that I'm working with. Like if, if I'm producing them while they're doing vocals and they'll be performing and I'll be sitting like, I always record vocals with my eyes closed mm. um, because I want to feel like what it is, is like a, you know, as a 14 year old boy laying on my ground listening to like my Walkman because mm. um, that's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to feel like, does this feel like, uh, you know, like one, am I believing it, but is it transporting me to a certain place? Mm. Um, and a lot of the time that's the guidance that I'll give a singer. It's like at the moment, like, um, you know, like, where are you? Like, mm. where are mm. you in, in your mind? Cause I don't feel like, I feel like you're singing for pitch. I mm. think you are singing to try and get the best vocal performance, but, I want you to sing in that environment in which you created the song. Like when that girl broke your heart and you're sitting there laying on your bedroom floor, like crying, like sing from that place. Like, mm. or you were sitting there writing the song underneath the moon and you were sitting out on a balcony with all your friends around, um, like transport yourself back to that place. Cause I think like this happened the other day, I was producing this artist and, um, we, we did like six or seven takes and I was like, like, it's good. It's good. But like, I don't believe you. And mm. I'm like, are you, are you actually thinking of, of the story, you thinking about this, this relationship? Um, because it sounds like you're thinking about your vocals and he was like, yeah. And so instead we just sat and we talked about like the breakup and what, what was going through in the situation. And he sang the next take and that was the take mm. that we used. It was like, yeah. you, could, you could feel it. It was like, I was getting goosebumps when he was performing it. Yeah. Cause I'm like, and, and that is the, the beauty of the human mm, mind. Yeah. Nothing changed. Nothing mm. changed. Like his physicality was exactly the same, but where his energy was focused was yeah. a completely different That's thing. That's kind of a theatre exercise too. I, f mm. I feel like, like, did you do anything like that, Izzy? I mean, when I was in, like, just a segue to, I mean, a different creativity. <laughs> Mate, but um, I remember talking about theatre. We're going to be here for a long I know, time. I know, I know. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll make it short. I'll make it short. No, but I got asked, like... <laughs> did you just do jazz hands? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I feel so sane. No, I, got, um, I got asked by the director to, like, keep saying it again. Say it again. I don't believe you. I, like, I don't yeah. believe you. And then he started yelling at me. And, mm. and but, like, and obviously yeah. to, like, like evoke that emotion mm. to get it to the point of what was necessary. And I did it. And then everyone went silent. I was like, oh, did it? Was it? Was it alright? And everyone was just like, that's that's 
that's what you need to yes. do yeah. at the matinee. That's what you need to yeah. do. And I'm like, far out. Okay. Mm. Like, and it's that, it's that push of, I mean, in a different kind of circumstance. But yeah, being present in it, not just, yeah, and intentional. I, yeah. Those things. I do that before um, I play a gig. Mm. Um, like, I do a lot of visualization mm. and like, I see myself on the stage and not only do I see myself, but like really lean into what I want to feel mm. yeah. so that I'm setting that within myself. And I'm mm. like, yeah, okay, I can see like I've got the external um, triggers in my mind of the stage, the place that I'm playing, the people that are around me. Cool. Um, this is the feeling that I want to feel when I when I see or I experience these things. And I'll do that before I gig. I won't practice. I will barely sing in sound check. Mm. I'm mm. like, I don't, I I don't even say, yeah, I won't sing the day of. Um, and then like I'll get up on stage and I know the outfit that I'm wearing because I've chosen it. It's in my head. <laughs> and I've yeah. yeah, and I've like gone through that whole process and I'm standing on stage and without fail, I can step into that feeling because mm. I've I've set that reality in my mind mm. and I can I can feel it already. Um, and I found that so helpful when I was really struggling with like stage fright or anxiety. Mm. And when I first started playing with a band on stage and I was like, oh my God, I don't know how to be confident in this situation. Mm. And so I... I I tricked my brain and into yeah. feeling the things I wanted to feel, which is something so powerful that you can do through yeah. like mindfulness and and also meditation is that you can actually like like do all kinds of tomfoolery, mm. yeah. you know, for yourself in a really yeah. positive way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Daily affirmations and all yeah. of that kind of stuff. Like it's so important to mm. to like keep like just keeping your mind positive. I mean, the, the, obviously you get to a point where there's like toxic positivity, yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. But um, like affirmations and visualizations are such a great tool yeah. that a lot of people don't lean into. A lot of people are, yeah, that they will just be kind of like, they'll be focusing on that anxious energy. They'll be like, all of their mind yeah. will just be going to, oh my God, I feel so sick. I feel so anxious. Yeah. Um, but with mindfulness and meditation, you can actually learn to like start leaning into the positive aspects of yeah. like, yeah, like you say, the visualizations, it's like, no, it's going to be amazing. Like, you know, they're going to laugh at all my jokes. Yeah, mm. yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, I don't want to get like too into it, but there is an element of when you first discover mindfulness and meditation, it's very similar to like when you first start going to the gym and you get like mm. what they call beginner gains <laughs> and you start like, so you start doing this, like the yeah. light work of mindfulness yeah. and meditation. You start doing the affirmations and the visualizations and you just like skyrocket. You're like, I'm fucking on cloud nine right now <laughs> and I could take on the world. And it's great and it's amazing. And often actually sometimes you come to a plateau and mm. it stops you know, doing what you thought it was going to be doing. And and that's, at least in my journey, I've found you do have to unpack what is underneath and do mm. the work that is the not shiny work and that is not affirmations, that's not visualizations. Mm. Say that fast five times. No, thank you. <laughs> um, you do actually, like, I, I just... Yeah, I want to encourage people to that know that, yeah, there's this really beautiful, like, joyous things to be doing, um, but you do also have to take responsibility for the not-so-fun stuff. Yeah. And it's a balance of both, um, but it's really awesome, Toby, to have people like you who mm. are really well-known in the industry mm. and I mm. think is someone that a lot of people 
do look up to. Yeah. Um, I feel very this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I feel very lucky to have had the, what like eight nine hours and, <laughs> and, and like yeah. condensed <laughs> yeah. um, working on Electric Lady with you because I mean yeah such the, a banger. The, thank you. I mean it was Cheers. it was like had the master behind the mixing, but no yeah having like we had we had that chat and a little like kind of like tea break beforehand, and you were always really. You know, you're like, okay, cool. We've done, we've done this portion. Like another break, you know, another, you know, mm. and just letting us mm. be in our own kind of bit. And I mean, we're a, like a relatively big ensemble. We didn't even get through vocals and um, mm. was it like saxophone with with mm. Rachel and stuff like that. But you were still just so patient and so, you know, just chilling. And just it was, it was, yeah, it was a yeah. really, really good experience. So thank you. I mean, because yeah. it, it should be fun, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's no one needs more music. Mm. Like, we re- like yeah. if no one made any more music right now, we've got enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if, yeah. And, and so I think any more music that we add into the world, it should be coming from a place of like, um, of joy. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, if you're in a death metal band, it's probably not going to be very joyous. But, like, (laughs) it needs to to be, like, an enjoyable process um, Mm. because we are just adding more into the music, uh, into the world. Um, And so, yeah, I think, like, creating an environment where it is chill, where people can feel comfortable to express themselves. Because I know, for one, that to get the best out of me, I need to feel comfortable. Mm. And I've worked with people that are really, really toxic. um, Mm. And we'll use like verbal abuse and um, and like intimidation tactics to try and get like the best out of me. And I will only ever work hard enough to not get yelled at in mm. those environments. Mm. Whereas when I work with people that actually like in like are really kind and caring and nurturing, yeah. I will work above and beyond to like help that person. Mm. So I, I think that's the case in the studio as well. Like when you foster that environment where it's like really open and creative and every like because that's the thing. Like at the end of the day, no one truly knows what makes a great song. Mm. You know, like and it, it's really, really easy to be in this environment where like um the drama suggests like an idea and everyone's like, nah, that's so stupid. Like, we're not going to do that. And it's like, why not? That could like, because, yeah. because yeah. no one can Try perfectly and... articulate the thoughts inside their head. So I, I love to foster this environment where um, where you try ideas because it's easier to just try an idea and everyone will know if it works or not mm, yeah. than to argue in the hypothetical. Yeah. Um, and so I think you you foster that environment where people can feel like they can actually voice up because yeah maybe the drummer has six terrible ideas in a row but maybe that seventh idea that he is like you've given him the space to articulate or her has given you know the space to articulate their ideas um, that they will suggest that seventh idea that makes the song a number yep. one hit you know and if if you just sh- shut them down they're just going to hold off their thoughts they're going to hold off their ideas um, and yeah like it it could prevent that song from becoming the next big thing yeah yeah. Caught it or cue. Caught it or cue. With Toby Lloyd. With Toby Lloyd. <laughs> I should be on the TV. This is our little like quick fire yeah. segment. We love okay. where we just like yeah. try and lighten up the mood a little bit. There is an entire bit of the script where I literally wrote, I want to ask all these things if we have time, because I already knew that we were going to go over time. Yeah, cool. Yeah. But let's go to the quick fire questions. Yeah. Do you want to start us off, Kay? I would love to. Oh, go for yeah. it, please. Um, this is the only one that I wrote in. You've already written fire ones, but here we go. Okay. Um, if you weren't in the music game, what could you see oh. yourself doing? Oh, like, actually, um, no, not music, creativity, because I feel like yeah. you've dabbled in all yeah, kinds of different fields. things. Um, yeah, like a, a meditation coach would be pretty cool. Oh, um, that was actually pretty, yeah. Maybe like a post person. 
you know, walking around the streets. Really? I've thought about being a poster. Yeah, wouldn't that be dope? Yeah. Just like out in the That's sun, all the rain and just yeah. walking and exercising. I want one of those little 50cc bikes too, just in case. <laughs> you know, if it's like a really yeah, big hill. Yeah, it's really bucketed. Yeah. Like Mario Kart, but the postman I just, edition. I actually just want yeah. one of those just in general. I yeah. feel like, you know, you just need a little, like, it's not even nifty 50. It's probably like a lawnmower yeah. motor on there. Should we get like Awkward Talks branded oh, mobility oh, scooters so yeah. to hone around? Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're you're more than welcome to um, <laughs> we'll get use you that for, for yeah. your posting oh, service. Oh, yeah, count me in, totally. <laughs> what has been your greatest failure? Oh, that's a really good question. Mm. I love the wording too. Yikes. Mm. Um, I mean, definitely like trying to um, do – like 100 kg squats when my back was in a really bad condition. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> that was that yeah. was definitely up there. Um, I don't believe in regrets. Like I'm, I just think no regrets. That, yeah, no regrets. Um, I would say probably yeah. Like at a time in my life where I was like incredibly sick because I was going through this really traumatic period yeah. where like my mum had like a brain tumor and we're like oh she's gonna die and like my second son was born <sighs> and Christ. our renovations went like three times over the cost and. Um, I had the severe stomach issue at the same time, but I was still like a 70 kg dude squatting 100 kgs at the gym. And yeah, that sounds like the greatest <laughs> success. No, I'm just yeah. Joking. So I think that was probably <laughs> my biggest failure. Okay, doing, doing that next set, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you do, don't do the next set, guys. <laughs> Meditation in the morning or night? Mm, afternoon. Afternoon. Yeah, I, I I find that five o'clock is like my sweet spot. I do it in the morning, like I wake up and it's quite sweet because sometimes I'll be meditating in the lounge before my kids will wake up and then like my daughter will come and just like sit next to me and I'm like, oh. I'm like, meditate with me. She's five. Oh. And so she'll sit there and she'll go. Um. And then she'll kind of like move next to me and kind of like oh. do it again. And then the next minute she's like on my lap. And so I'm meditating with my daughter on my lap. So that's a bit of fun, but it, like right. maybe I don't go as well. deep into meditation. Yeah. Um, but then nighttime, nighttime I really, really enjoy, but sometimes I'll just be like, oh God, I'm falling asleep. Yeah. Um, so I find <laughs> yeah. that five o'clock is a perfect sweet spot because I'm still awake. I've done a lot of work that I need to. Mm. And then, um, then I can uh, carry on work. Mm. Okay. Amazing. Favorite book you've read? Oh. You've, you've talked about a lot already. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, um, there's a couple. I mean, like, from a non-fiction standpoint, um, probably The Creative Act by Rick Rubin mm. or maybe The Greatest Show on Earth by um, Richard Dawkins or um, Waking Up by Sam Harris. Mm. Um, fiction, probably, like, The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Ooh. I love that book. Um, I'm a sucker for, like, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings as well. Oh. Yeah, so oh, dope. The universe yeah. and that, yeah. Yes, yeah. Give us a, um, some some plugs of your favorite Wellington things happening right now. Mm, good question. I like I, I'm in quite a unique position, I think, in the in the music scene because I feel like even though I'm part of the music community and I work with a lot of artists, mm. I don't really get out to live shows. <laughs> no, very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. So it's like because like one like shows go late, and then I get home tired, and then my kids will wake me up at six. And then, like, I, I really, really respect the artists that I work with. So mm. I want to make sure that every single day mm. they're getting the best version of, of me that they can. And so I, I don't drink alcohol anymore. Um, and I just, like, I try and live, like, a really good life so I so I can give the artists my best. So, yeah, I don't go out and see shows very mm. often. So, like, the bands that I know are the, the ones that I work with. Um, and often people will be like, oh, my God, have you heard this amazing band? And I'll look, look at their Spotify page and they're, like, blowing up. And I'm like, never heard of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, Tahini became are pretty no. dope. Oh, yeah. shout out. Yeah. They're, they're all right. Their latest yeah. single right. is really great. Is it? <laughs> is he? Is Such it? a banger. Yeah. Absolute tune. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Toby. My absolute pleasure. <laughs> it's been a really, really great conversation. Um, can you please let the people know where they can find you mm. and where they can get in touch with you if they want to work with you? Um, yeah, I guess just Instagram, um, Tiny Triumph Recordings mm-hmm. um, or tinytriumphrecordings.com. Um, I really don't update my Facebook page because, like, who does Facebook? <laughs> who does like, Facebook? It, it's My Instagram is supposed to link to my Facebook, yeah. but it's broken mm. and I can't be bothered going on there and manually, like, <laughs> fixing anything. So, yeah, reach out on Instagram. Um, I'm, I try not to be, like, I, I post the projects that I'm working on, yeah. but I'm not very active because, like, I don't want to be staring at my screen all day mm. long. I try to, like, have as few distractions as possible. But, yeah, that's probably, like, the best platform. Amazing. Cool. Well, as always, guys, you can follow us on Instagram. Um, by the time this podcast goes out, we actually have started a private Facebook group. Oh, You can go and join the Facebook group. And what we wanted to do is create um, a bit more of a place where we could talk to you guys more, interact with our audience more, because we can't interview everyone. Mm-hmm. And everyone out there... Um, has got amazing advice and opinions. So if you want to come over in the Facebook group, we want to have like more discussions, so many book recommendations recently. I think we should start a book club (laughs) Mm, and also want to Mm. actually maybe release who we're talking to early so that you guys get an opportunity to maybe send in some questions. So make sure you follow us on um, Instagram and Facebook at AwkwardTalksNZ. Yeah, just see that update. Be part of the the Rōpū. Yeah, exactly. And... Yeah, I think that's everything. All right. Well, again, thanks, Toby. Cool. Thanks yeah. for having me. This has been great. Yeah. Kay, yeah. do you want to take us out? Bye. Come to our Um. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>